Again, Happy New Year to everyone. And, uh, but Matthew 17, it is good to have the visitors with us. We appreciate you coming. Good to have some return visitors with us. Certainly glad to see you. Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> and again, currently on Sunday mornings, we're in the book of Acts. Wednesday nights, we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And I'll be back in Acts. We've been out of it since the beginning of December. And, but we'll be back there uh, starting um, two weeks. Two weeks we'll be back in the book of Acts. All right, Matthew chapter 17, a couple of verses here. I want to tie two things together. I'm going to start in verse 22. I'm going to read down through verse 27. And I want, I want to tie these things together and just give us some help from these verses as we start the new year. It says in verse 22, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. The third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. When they were come to Capernaum, they had traveled, he had been out, they had the Mount of Transfiguration had just taken place, so they're they're back in Galilee now, they get to Capernaum. Um, They that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. When he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, stopped him from speaking, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of earth take custom of tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are, then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Go thou to the sea, cast an hook, and take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored. Please help me to stay true to your word. Control what I say and how I say it, Lord. May this be a help to us and draw us closer to you. Lord, please use this to meet needs that are here. I pray your word would strengthen us. And Lord, so help me not to hinder that. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray that even this morning they repent and place their faith in Christ. Lord, so please help now. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. Christ, when we get into this section here, again, the Mount, the, the transfiguration has just taken place. So Peter, James, and John have just witnessed something spectacular. This is shortly after that, what we're coming into. And Christ now tells them for the third time that he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified. He tells them there's a betrayer behind it, um, and that, that, I'm going to, that he is going to die, but that he's going to raise again from the dead. Mark, when you read this exact same account in the Gospel of Mark, Mark says they lack understanding what Jesus meant by all this. I mean, you can think of that. That does make sense for several reasons. One, think of what Peter, James, and John just witnessed. How incredible it would have been to be on that mount to see Jesus Christ transfigured before them. To see him in his glory for that brief time frame. And now, here's Christ telling them, I'm going to be killed. And, and, and Mark says this, they lack understanding. Um, so they're wondering, how is all this going to take place? Of course, Christ is preparing them for what is to come. Again, this is the third time he's now told them, I'm going to be crucified. And although they don't understand now, they will. They'll be able to look back and see how this all makes sense. 
And of course, Christ tells us, or the Bible tells us here, that when Christ told them, they were exceeding sorry. They were depressed. They were sad. I mean, the man they love, the man they give given their life for, the man they believe at this time, they believe, again, he's going to establish his kingdom. And now he's telling them he's going to be crucified. He's going to die. There's a betrayer, and that's going to take place. And by the way, just think, if you're playing the game with this Christian life right now, if it's really not about God, you need to change that. Don't be like Judas. My goodness. Think of, th- think of where that man is right now. You can think of the regret that took place in him after he betrayed Christ. If you're just playing the game, listen, it's not worth it. Just follow Christ for Christ. Not because of your name. Because Judas thought, well, I'm getting in on this kingdom thing. His motivations were entirely wrong. Listen, uh, follow Christ out of genuine, true love. Anyhow, let's, let me get back to this. So he lets them know this, and then the Bible jumps to the fact that they're back in Galilee, they're in Capernaum. This in all likely, by the way, is Peter's house is, is where they're at. Peter is outside the house, and, and he is asked a question by those who collect tribute if Jesus pays taxes. Um, and they're, again, they're asking this, not seeking any truth or anything like that. What they're trying to do is find reason against Christ. Peter answers as was common with him, quickly, rashly. He responds to this, and and Peter just says, yes, he does. And and so when he goes into the house, we see Christ's omniscience is present. He he prevents Peter even from speaking. He says, Peter, what were you thinking? And so we need to understand with Christ's response, first, what tax is he talking about? This is not a Roman tax. He's not dealing with the Roman tax at all. Um, publicans were the one used to collect those taxes. Peter's not having a conversation with a publican. This is what's referred to as the temple tax. It was established in Exodus chapter 30. Um, this tax would continue. We see it all the way even going into the time of Nehemiah with the rebuilding, although because of the hardships and everybody, that the cost of the tax was lowered down to a third during the time of Nehemiah. Um, the price was, for this tax, it was a set price. It was a half a shekel. And many point out how this really was a very tiny tax that equivalents to about 60 cents. But you have to put it, not in our day, you have to put it in their time frame. 60 cents was the equivalent of two full days' worth of wages. So, if our average income today is about $35,000, just under $35,000 is the average income. So, for, based on an average income, our tax is about $260 is what it would cost them. And so that's what we're looking at here. The tribute of this half section, of this half shekel was called a didrachma. The drachma was a Greek coin worth about 50, 15 cents. Uh, and the didrachma was double that. It was obviously two of those, didrachma. And this was the amount of that tax in Christ's day. So this tax would be paid. Every, every March they'd set up booths and the temple tax would have to be paid. This is actually past March. He was gone during that time frame. So as he comes back, now they're asking about, is he going to pay that tax? You guys weren't here for this. Is that going to take place? Again, they're trying to find aught against him. And tax is required for everybody who is 20 years, uh, 20 years of age and older are the ones who had to pay this. Now, at this time, the economy did not have a coin equal to this cost of didrachma, but they did have a coin called a stator that was equal to two of those. All right? This is even the word that's referred to by Christ when he says you're going to find a coin in the mouth of this fish. It would, it would pay the temple tax for two people. It was the common way they would pay it during Christ's time. 
The majority of time, two people would go at the exact same time with the stater to pay the tax, one for you know, each of them at that time. Um, so they would pay it. So Christ here is referring that he tells Peter, listen, you're, you're going to go fishing and you're going to find this um, in the mouth of a fish, this coin that's going to pay the tax for both of us. Um, and so, again, so Peter went back into the house. Christ addresses it. He says, he says Peter, he stops him from speaking. Peter, he basically says in our terminology, what were you thinking? And he gives a simple analogy. He says, he says of whom, whom do kings take their tribute from? Who, who pays taxes to the king? The stranger here is not dealing with foreigners. He's dealing with the king's family, his children, versus the subjects in the kingdom. And, and that's what he meant by strangers. And, and so Peter says, yes, I know. His, yes, his children don't pay taxes. It's just for those in the kingdom. Christ pointed out that he is not at all responsible for this tax based on Exodus chapter 30. That tax was about, it was dealing with helping with the redemption of souls. Christ is there to redeem the souls. It dealt with worship. Christ is the one who does receive worship. Um, So Christ is in no way uh, responsible for this tax. But Christ does provide a solution here. Um, Christ tells Peter... I'm going to pay this tax lest we offend. And I'll touch on that a little bit. He instructs Peter, it's, it's time to go fishing. And that's really the title of this message. Sometimes it's just time to go fishing. That's not now. Um, <clears throat> he tells Peter, go get a fishing line, go get a hook, head to the sea, head to the Sea of Galilee, cast in the line, you're going to catch, catch a fish, and you're going to find a coin in his mouth. And you're going to use that to go pay both of our taxes. That's going to be the stater coin. And could you imagine, though, when Peter went to pay his taxes with those guys? I wonder if they followed him. I think Peter went out the house and told those guys, follow me. We're paying our taxes. Come on. Well, you're going the wrong way. The, the, the booths aren't set up now. You need to head over to the, you need to head over, uh, um, to the synagogue. And he said, no, no, just come with me. Could you just see him casting in that line? Brings the fish out, and there's a stater coin in that thing. And, I mean, you could just think of what was going on with him. But anyhow, I want to pull out several lessons from this to try and help us today as we begin a new year. Now, the first couple of verses dealt with Christ telling them for the third time, I'm going to die. It's coming. And it's very close at this time, by the way. It's coming. I'm going to be crucified. But he tells them, but I'm going to be raised again from the dead. When Christ said that, the Bible described him as exceeding sorry. So the first thing I want to draw from this text is this. Too often, we focus so much on the distress or the trial that we actually completely lose sight of the blessing that can be in the situation. That happens all the time. We can can be so consumed with the trial itself that we miss out on what the blessings are actually present. And that's what happened to the disciples right here. Christ told them of his soon death. And they're sad, they're depressed, they're despondent. It was difficult to hear. But they didn't think on the promise of the resurrection. He said, I'm going to die, that's true. But I'm going to be resurrected. Remember, Mark said they lacked, they lacked understanding. What they should have did was went to Christ. Well, think of James chapter 1 when it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let, let, let him uh, come unto God and he give it to all men liberally. I mean, he abradeth not. That context there is in the midst of trials. Mark said they lacked understanding. They didn't quite get all this. They should have went. He's right there. 
Listen, when we're in tough times, we do go to tough times in our life and tough trials. We do go to Christ for wisdom. Instead, they just focused on the trial. What was to come? And it led to depression. They were so focused on that, they missed what was great about it, the resurrection. Completely missed it. Again, you can be so focused on what you don't like that you lose sight of all the blessings you actually possess. It's so important that we do dwell on the good things in life instead of just what's bad. To think on God's goodness, not just the hardness. I remember when I went down, my cousin had died a couple years ago. I went down for the funeral, and I was talking with my uncle. The, the funeral had, had taken place, and we were talking after it was finished. And again, his son was younger than me. He was, I think, four years younger than me. I really can't remember. Four or five years younger than me. And so he was probably, you know, 43, 44 when he died. And uh, they have three boys, and this is the only child they had lost. And he said to me, um, after the funeral was over, we were talking, and, and he had said, he said, you know what? He goes, I got two boys still alive. That's what I'm going to focus on. He had the right view. And he knew from experience because his sister also had a son who had died. Had three children, two girls, and I knew them well. We weren't related. We were on the other side of the family, but I knew all of them very well. Matter of fact, I remember sitting, I was, I was in management in Continental the morning that her son died. His name was Denny. He was on his way to work. Uh, he was 23 years old, if I remember right, 23, 24 years old when he died. On his way to work, fell asleep at the wheel, and flipped his car and died. And, and my uncle's sister, who, that, again, that was her son, to this day, she's really never recovered from that. He died in 1997, if I remember right. The depression just took over. That's all she could focus on. And I, I knew my uncle had saw that. I remember, I, I knew that even broke his heart watching what his sister was going through with that. And so I knew when he was telling me, that's what he was thinking of. I have two sons alive. I'm not going to forget that. He was focusing on the good he did have, not just the incredible, difficult trial that he was in the midst of. He was struggling with loss, but still remember the blessings that he had. Even Job did this, did he not? I mean, I don't know if anybody went through more struggles or trials than Job. I mean, literally losing everything within moments in such a horrific manner. But Job still focused on the one thing he had. I know that my Redeemer liveth. The disciples missed the great truth of the resurrection. I'm going to die. But he gave the hope. But I will be resurrected. Don't forget in your life, the resurrection is coming, so to speak. It is. Don't forget the blessings that you have in your life. Don't get so caught up in the trials that you miss the blessings that you have. Lesson number two. Let's look at this when he he responds to Peter now about the tax. He says, in verse 24, when they come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? 
Of whom do the kings of earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. And then he goes and gives instructions on how he's to find the money to pay the tax. I want to focus on that phrase a little bit, lest we should offend them. We learn a very important lesson here in the Christian life. This is important for us. All right? Your rights are not more important than your testimony or the work of God. They're not. What you're entitled to, your right, even in a right position, are not more important than your testimony or the work and kingdom of God. They're not. We can get so consumed with our rights. I mean, here, here's the tax collector. Jesus is under no obligation for this tax whatsoever. He says, however, lest we offend, I'm paying it. He understood. He, he understood they would lack understanding of this, and this isn't worth it. We're going to pay this. He did not want to offend them, so he voluntarily uh, subjected himself to this tax. He could have refused and been right in doing so. He, he was right in principle. He could have refused it. After all, he is the Son of God. But he knew more important than establishing his right in this case was not to offend. That was the best course of action to take. He didn't want the ministry to be hindered over something like this. There are many things more important than you being right. There are. There's more things more important than you establishing your name and your right. If the Son of God can exhibit humility... We should too. Listen, this is something I know as, as I was going through and, and what to preach this week. I know this was a help to me. It's not just always about, you know, when you're wronged or, or sometimes, you know, you, you, you simply trust God and let happen what happens. <clears throat> so you have to think of your faith first is the point before you make a decision. You have to think of your faith first. You know, there's, I, I wrote down a few simple illustrations of it. You know, you come into church and somebody sits in your pew. Please don't get offended by something so ridiculous. Which I don't know of anybody here that has. But I know that it actually does happen. I can't believe they sat in my pew. Um, and so, you know, or something happens at work. Something happens at work where you're offended and you know you're in the right. Don't lose your testimony over that. It's not worth it. Don't. But I'm in the right. You know, sometimes you can, you can allow yourself, as it tells us even in Corinthians, you can allow yourself to be offended. <clears throat> Our faith goes before the fact of us being right. But many times the only thing we want to do is assert our rights. We live in a culture that's all about our rights. It really gets old hearing it all the time. It really does, because we're, we're so self-centered. And we have to learn to put others first, to live an unselfish life, at times to make determinations where, yes, we, we might be offended, we might be wrong, but for the sake of our faith and what's best for the situation, you don't worry about justifying and establishing, well, I'm right. <clears throat> Sometimes, just like Almighty God did here, the Son of God said, lest we offend, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I don't have to, but I'm going to. 
Many times that's the best course of action to take because your rights are not more important than your testimony. They're not more important than your faith or the work of the kingdom of God. Number three, what we learn from this, is when he went and he cast in, uh, um, cast his line and he caught the fish, he had the one stater coin was all he had. All right? That was enough to meet the need exactly of his tax and Christ. So what I want to draw from this is a lesson here. God meets your needs of today, not tomorrow. He meets your needs of what you need right now is what he does. When Peter went to fish, it was enough to provide for the need they had. Listen, number one, understand this. God wants to meet your needs. He always does. I mean, you can think Peter's the one who penned in the words, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He desires to meet your needs. There's no question about it. There's nobody that actually loves you more than God. Nobody. And he knows exactly what you need and desires to help with it. But we do know this. We see it from Genesis to Revelation. He always meets the needs of today, what you need now. To trust him for what's going on right now. <clears throat> so often we worry about things. And this is true. So often we worry about things that just never come to pass. Just never happen. You know, I brought up before, I've read this in several different places, that 90% of, of, of what we worry about never comes to pass. 90%. So you can think of the waste of time that we spend for worrying things that are never going to happen. We need to learn to trust God and let Him meet those needs. We see here when He does meet our needs of today that many times He does it in very unexpected ways. He does it in ways that you're not even thinking are possible. You can think how amazing the story is. A fish with a coin in its mouth. What this teaches us is God is in control even when things happen and you're not understanding, even when it's disappointing, even when you think there's no way out. I mean, and you can think how the, God, how the Lord put everything together. Maybe two days earlier, I don't know. What I picture is two days earlier, there's another guy fishing and he lost his stator coin. It dropped. But the Lord was in that, wasn't he? You know, so high picture this. I like to think of the guy as a believer for the sake of this illustration. I, the Bible doesn't describe it all, but just stay with me here. But the guy who did lose his coin, that the Lord was in, that is going to have a fish right there at the exact time that's going to grab that coin so that Peter can then throw his line in and get this because the Lord knows everything that's going to happen. You can just think of the guy who dropped his coin. He just dropped two days worth of wages. I, I take it back. He dropped four days worth of wages. He dropped four days worth of wages into the water. But you know what? God was in control of that. God was going to use... God had determined, you know what? I know you don't quite need that right now. But I'm going to have this need over here. If Now, if that man had great faith and said, all right, well, the Lord was in this, so be it. The Lord was in it, so be it. He would have been just fine. But he probably worried about it and got frustrated over it, didn't he? And forgetting God is in control. He is. <clears throat> and I think that the Lord did this, of course, also to show Peter his great power, how he can use simple things, unexpected ways to meet those needs. I mean, you can think of how special this must have been to Peter his entire life this moment. Just, just to be part of that incredible event that took place of finding that simple stator coin in the mouth of a fish. 
It's during these times that the Lord does show you His love and His desire to help you. When He chooses to use completely unexpected ways, different than you're, you're even thinking. And how it becomes special to you. You know, I have a, uh, with a gift card that the church got me for the wedding anniversary from Men's Warehouse, and then I got a couple more at Christmas, I ordered a new suit. It should be here on Wednesday. About every two years, I'll, I'll get one. And so I ordered a new one be here on Wednesday. And of course, it made me think again of the very first suit I ever got and how special that is. That won't compare to any of the other suits I'll ever get because of what the Lord did in an unexpected way. At that point, I'm still preaching a lot of this time, but I don't own one suit. It's just mixed matches. You know, it's head in the value village or hand-me-downs and matching a coat with some trousers and things like that. And I remember it was, it was just a couple weeks before Father's Day. It was a Sunday morning. I'm pulling out to figure out what I want to wear for church that day. And just in the, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't fast about it. I didn't put the, I didn't pray all night. I didn't pray for weeks. I just said one simple prayer at the time. I said, Lord, I could really use a real suit, please. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I would love it by Father's Day. And I forgot about it. I didn't pray again. I didn't spend hours praying about it. It's the Monday before Father's Day church visitation. I pull in six o'clock at night. Earl Faulkner pulls in right next to me. We still talk to this day. He was a song leader in our church. Just a great man. He pulls in next to me. Both of us get out of the car. He said, wait, before you go, I have something for you. And he gets, and I told nobody. I, I, didn't, I didn't announce from the church. Uh, um, I've been praying the Lord will get me a suit. <laughs> I didn't do anything of the sort. <laughs> I didn't. No, nobody knew. I didn't tell my wife. There's not one person I told. And so he gets out. It's the Monday before Father's Day. And he gets out and he hands me a suit. Now, I said, I really have no idea of your sizes. I think this will work, but you're going to have to have it tailored. I mean, I was thrilled. All right? But the Lord wasn't nearly done yet. So it's the Monday before Father's Day. Of course, I'm thinking of the prayer right away. I'm so excited. The next day, I take it to get it all sewed up. Uh, I, the lady calls me on Saturday, the seamstress at the store. She said, it's done. You can come pick it up. She said, it's $50. Now, at this time, I'm an e-nothing. I have children and no money to where I have to drive by McDonald's and pretend I have money that I can actually go to McDonald's. I don't have $50. I can't pay for it. And so then I went. I, I remember I left. I, I hung the phone up. I went and prayed and said, Lord, I'd really like it by tomorrow. And I, I didn't call anybody up. While I'm praying, Marianne happened to go and get the mail. She comes in. There was a card from my mom. And guess what type of dollar bill was in that card? A $50 bill. I had my first suit for Father's Day. The way the Lord did that, special. Do you know he desires to do those things in your life so you're just like, man, thank you. He does it all the time. He likes to meet your needs in unexpected ways. Trust him to do it. So there are times, that's what I mean by this, there are times when you don't understand, you just have to trust the Lord. Just have to trust the Lord, you have to go fishing. Not literally. All right, don't everybody head out to the Kenai right now. All right. We also see another, another important thing here. I'll finish with this one. I also think we see a, less, a lesson against covetousness. I do. You can think of, of how Christ lived on the earth with such meager means. Poverty, even. Um, he did not even have on him the funds to pay this, pay this tax. He didn't even have that. He didn't have that equivalent to pay this tax. 
And think of what he could have did. He's God. He could have had Peter. Peter, know what? If, if, if Christ was one of our TV preachers, he would arrange for a Goliath grouper to be out there with a bag of gold in its mouth. The Lord could have did anything like that. He didn't. He gave enough, like I said earlier, just to meet the need. It wasn't anything more. It wasn't anything less. He simply met the need. I think it shows a principle of the importance of keeping priorities right and how quickly covetousness can ruin your priorities in life. The Bible teaches us labor not to be rich. The Bible tells us, incline my heart unto your testimonies and not to covetousness. That will control you. You'll make your decisions completely based on covetousness. What's best financially? Instead of what glorifies God. Remember that. Remember that in all areas of our life, what's most important is, in, in, even in teaching our children character and responsibilities, is the fact that Matthew 6.33 is true. That the Lord will... What you do is you put God first, you honor Him, and you protect that. And Matthew 6.33 is true. <clears throat> Christ clearly did not covet possessions. He never led his disciples on any course or action to do so. And covetousness, we know, is an incredibly dangerous sin. It's one that quickly can take you out of the will of God. The devil uses this sin time and time again with our flesh and what we're prone to, to give you wrong desires to pull you from what God has for your life. What God desires for us is good and right. We trust Him. The Bible tells us how godliness with contentment is great gain. And it is. The disciples are learning that by seeing how Christ lived in His actions. They learn to avoid covetousness. We need to be content with God's provision in our life, with where you're at. I'll finish with this. Uh, a, A little home here on covetousness. Money can buy a bed, but it cannot buy you sleep. Money can buy amusements, but it cannot buy happiness. Money can buy companions, but it cannot buy true friends. Money can buy books, but it cannot buy brains. Money can buy you a house, but it cannot buy you a home. Money can buy medicine, but it cannot give you good health. Money can buy you flattery, but it will not get you respect. The fact is, there's, there's so many different lessons here that we can learn. Each one of these I pick for a particular reason. I mean, you can think of how often we do. We, we, get, we, we, we have the struggles and trials that hit that are genuine. Nothing fake about them. But at the same time, we can completely miss the good things that are sitting right there. Or the fact that God does desire to meet our needs, and He meets our needs for what we have. Or the importance of that we see this throughout Scripture. I've used so many different texts to basically preach the point of how our faith is more important than our rights. I have one whole sermon on it based on Jonah. Jonah forgot all about that. Or seen here, even as we finish, the danger of covetousness. With heads bowed and eyes closed.